What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Here we oh, go. Holy crap. <laughs> Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. And the Deconstructionist Podcast is a podcast about pulling apart things like worldviews and faith and belief. And I think we think we're pulling things apart, but at the end of the day, we're the ones that kind of get deconstructed. Wouldn't you agree with that? Absolutely. And so if you're new to this, this guy's perfect. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is a very special episode of the Deconstructions podcast featuring philosopher, pyro theologian, storyteller, author, movement starter, Peter freaking Rollins. And if you don't know who this guy is, check out our show notes and go out and you know, get one of his books, check out his website. There's tons of videos online on YouTube. This guy's amazing. Um, he's got multiple books out. He speaks all over the world. He's from Northern uh, Ireland, so you're really going to love his accent. Oh, his um, accent is great. Super nice guy, but he has this really just kind of fresh perspective on, on scripture and on Christianity. On everything, on atheism, on secularism, on yes. culture, on... Uh, one of the things that I love about him is he's trained in psychoanalytics yeah, as well as philosophy and theology. Well, you get into his bio a little bit. Yeah, so he, uh, he's he got degrees. He's got multiple degrees. So he's got degrees with distinction in scholastic uh, philosophy. That's his bachelor's. And then he got into his master's program. So he's got, I believe, two master's degrees, if I remember correctly. Just a couple. Uh, a couple poli- master's degrees. At least one. Political theory, I, I know for sure. Mm-hmm. And then uh, post-structural thought is his PhD. And just, just to iron out just real quick because people are like, so what? So post-structural thought really informs a lot of the discussing that we do here. Some of these guys like Foucault and Derrida and all of these philosophers from sort of the 1940s, 50s, 60s and onward that are essentially like, okay, so there was this structure set up for us in thought. We're not sure if we want to stand on that anymore. So we're post-structural, you know, just like 
you know, post-modern or post-enlightenment or we're post-Christian or, right, right. you know, whatever you want to say. But I think that that needs to be said because that a lot of the fundamental beauty that he brings to the perspectives that he gives are because he's coming from this sort of post-structural place. So get into that nerd out on that online a little bit if you want to look into that. Yeah, and check out, um, I know in, um, I believe it was our first episode where we had recommended reading, um, I think we talked about one of his books, Insurrection. Insurrection, which we loved and hated at the same time. (laughs) It will will challenge you. Uh, I threw it across the room at one point. Yeah, I think I yelled a couple times. (laughs) Ah! We were just talking about this. I'm like, I had a, I had a really push my way through the middle section. Yeah, I was like, ah! I mean, (laughs) it just... There are some parts where he goes. I like to imagine dark. you yelling while you're reading. <laughs> <laughs> it happens, <laughs> but I mean it's good. It was good for me, and and the more I marinated on uh, some of the things he had to say, the more I kind of was like, okay, yeah, you know, I get that. Yeah. And then you know what happens? I buy two more of his books. So yeah, me too. I mean, it's just I think it's super important, and we talk about this over and over again. How important it is to to read things that challenge you outside of your normal stream, instead of just reading things that you just uh, already agree with. No this matter is who good. you are, and this guy is a prime example. Yes. And so yes. I can't wait. But we, what did you buy? You bought a couple of his uh, books recently, as as well as um, I was the same as you, man. I didn't I didn't yell. I might have yelled. <laughs> I I internally yelled. Now I kind of wish I would have yelled. Yeah. I think that's kind of cool that you yelled while you read the book. Um, <laughs> I threw it across the room at one point because I was just like frustrated that I was like, I was feeling very challenged. I was feeling very exposed. Yeah. I think is probably the best language. I was like, oh, I kind of hate that you just called that out about me, but I think you're right. Now I'm kind of mad. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty, uh, pretty honest reaction, I think. But then like any good, uh, kidnapped sort of prisoner of somebody for a little while i kind of started to fall in love with it like you know captors you know romance like you know it's like uh, <laughs> stockholm syndrome that's such a great way to <laughs> it's like this guy is totally <laughs> kicking me in the teeth right now yeah and i'm kind of falling more and more in love with the honesty and just the brand new way of thinking that he was bringing to it when i was reading it um for some of the you know, more Christian theological nerds out there and really anybody. There was a theologian that got a lot of notoriety during World War II and he was executed by the Nazis named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yes. And Bonhoeffer was so fresh. Bonhoeffer always talked about, uh, anybody's going to like this, he talked about this thing called religionless Christianity. Mm. And people have started to liken Pete Rollins as being like a new Bonhoeffer. He gets a lot of comparisons, yeah. And when I read it, I felt like I was reading like, man, did this guy like study under Bonhoeffer? No, he's too young for that. But, (laughs) you know, it's very fresh. It's very gritty. And it makes people mad. Yeah. And you get executed when you make people mad. So for, I hope, Peter doesn't get executed. No, no, I don't think so. I think we're past that. He lives in LA. I think he's okay. (laughs) I think we're past that. (laughs) But yeah, check out, he's got some other books out there, um, The Idolatry of God, and his most recent book that I can't wait to get into is called The Divine Magician, where he kind of uh, compares, he talks about this, but kind of compares um, religion in general to... um, if you've ever seen the movie The Prestige mm-hmm. and the the three parts of a magic trick. Mm-hmm. And so I won't go in any further into that because he talks a great deal about that, but so interesting. And he's working on another book right now uh, based off of Scooby-Doo. Oh uh, my gosh. I mean, that, that the coolest <laughs> thing about him is so many people think they don't like theology or they don't like philosophy or they don't like science or whatever because it's like, oh, it's over my head or it's esoteric or it's ambiguous or I can't understand it. 
And it really takes a new level of genius to take those concepts and produce them in a way that are funny and winsome and engaging and inviting. I mean, I think the, the best people that do that are comedians. And when you're listening to Pete Rollins, you almost feel like you're in the hands of like a really intelligent comedian who can take the deepest things about life, like death and love and tragedy yes. and God and, and, and you know the void and pain and suffering and all these kinds of things and almost make you giggle a little bit yeah. as you're getting your soul ripped open. <laughs> I mean, really, really talented guy. Talented, sweet, amazing, mm. friendly uh, and he said he's going to like be a consultant for us and help us figure out exactly what we're doing here. Yeah. Because <laughs> we don't exactly know. I and mean, you can't get more gracious than that. He's awesome. He's going to be back on the show. Absolutely. And show him some love when you hear this episode. Make sure you tell your friends. And Find him on Instagram. Yeah. And, and he's also on Twitter. And uh, go to his website, peterrollins.net. Yeah. Um, go check him out. He's got a ton of great resources on there. Um, Free. I just can't wait for you guys to, to listen Atheism to Atheism for Lent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he talks about that in this, in this episode, as well as we kind of dip into some of his previous books. And, I mean, I just think that both sides, whether you come from more of a conservative, uh, fundamentalist upbringing, or if you find yourself more on the non-religious atheist side, I think you're really going to love a lot Doesn't of stuff matter. that he yeah. has to say. He will piss both of you off. Right. And, in the best possible and way. And you'll want to both want to hug him yeah. at the end of this, I think, maybe. I think my wife, at least, kind of um, has a little crush on him, so I don't know. I have a little crush on him. I might, yeah. <laughs> I can't. Peter, if you're I listening don't care. out there, John, it's totally... I'm fine with saying that. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know if it's intelligence factor or the uh, sweet Irish accent. Both. I can't tell. It's both. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that he never got to on the show that I just wanted to like highlight, and then we'll, we'll roll tape on this, is you know he gets a lot of crap from both sides of the equation from like the more fundamentalist side and from the like you know the philosophers that he yeah um, you know banters with out in the media and one time i heard somebody say like okay peter so do you deny the resurrection and he mm. goes yes i deny the resurrection and you're like <gasps> what and he goes i deny the resurrection every time i let the hungry stay hungry Every oh. time I let the orphan stay orphan. Every time I let the poor stay poor. Every time I let a stranger stay a stranger. I deny the resurrection. But he goes, on a good day, if I'm having a good day, and I give someone a cup of water, or I shake a hand, or I help someone, or I get outside of myself for a minute, yeah, I might affirm the resurrection. And it's wow. like, oh, wow. and he never got to that on the episode. And no. like, I think that's such a great taste for how he kind of bobs and weaves around what we want to do all the time. And like what I call like adventures and missing the point. Yes. And he just gets to the point in such a way that he'll offend you and mm -hmm. make you think so. Yeah. He'll drag you kicking and screaming. And um, like, I, like I said before, I think both sides are really going to enjoy what he has to say. And especially with just his his outlook on hey let's let's stop lying to ourselves yeah. about the pain and suffering in the world let's embrace it learn from it yep. experience it and um, I really think he just has a beautiful message and I think we had a lot of fun with him and oh they're gonna love this you're gonna love should it. we hit play let's hit play <laughs> let's do this guys without further ado Peter Rollins Peter freaking Rollins so we're with the. Uh, <laughs> 
Peter Rollins, and uh, we're super excited to have you on the show. So we want to, first of all, thank you so much for, for taking time out of your schedule because we understand that you, uh, you're in the middle of a, a tour, I believe. No, no, I'm, I'm just hanging out in L.A., but okay. I do apologize for missing our last appointment. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> don't, don't sweat it for a minute, man. No welcome, worries. welcome, welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. Yes. Thank so, you very much. Appreciate being on the show. We are, we are so excited uh, to have you here. Um, but a lot, you know, some of our listeners have probably heard, in fact, probably a lot of our listeners have heard of you, been introduced to some of your work. Um, but I would love it if you would just kind of throw out a little bit of a blanket, just kind of bio how you started doing the work that you're doing. Yeah, well, I guess for me, uh, you know, I grew up in an environment where religion was often seen as that which would give you answers, uh, would give you a sense of wholeness, completeness, certainty and satisfaction yeah uh, you know yep. if you if you went up to the front of the church at an altar call you were going to you know experience the divine uh and hopefully have like a more full life yeah and yes the uh interestingly to me i i kind of noticed how that didn't always pan out <laughs> um <and laughs> I, uh, as i as i explored faith in a, in a deeper way i find this counter message this other idea that actually faith is something that can not only tolerate ambiguity doubts and complexity uh, cannot only uh, tolerate the idea that life can be difficult but actually embraces those very things and helps mm. us enter more into those things oh, and yeah. i discovered yeah i discovered that that actually both religion and secularism often was promising the same thing whether it's going to church, uh, whether you're going to church or whether you're going to be famous or whether you're going to be rich, you know, consumerism, drugs, technology and religion all, yeah. all seem to be things that conspire to give us a sense of wholeness and completeness. Oh. And I wanted to explore an alternative to that. That's amazing. That's so, great. I mean, how did you start to see this counter message that, that you know, I, I, I see it too, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's a very widely seen message no, it seems no. like it's getting uh, drowned out by a lot of the white noise of that sort of prosperity kind of approach yeah and I, I think that's partly because it appeals to us so much um it's not the fault of often you know religious leaders necessarily it's 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 our fault <laughs> well I, I, <laughs> yeah. yeah i want the answers yeah, I want the answers. I want wholeness and completeness. I want satisfaction. I want someone to give me those things. And oh, that's a great point. It's, it's similar. It's similar in therapy. In therapy, people often go in and they they want the therapist to make everything good. Yes, they want right. to escape their suffering. Yes. They want an answer. You know, yeah. fix me. Don't don't. I don't want to go too deep. I don't want to look at <laughs> bad things, but make me better. Just tell me and, what to do. Just tell me what to yeah. do. Give me, give me a drug. How yeah. to fix it? Yeah. yeah. How to fix? Yeah, a drug. Give me a drug. Give me an easy fix. And one of that's the temptation that the therapist has to resist. Weirdly, the the temptation that the therapist has to resist is the temptation to give the patient what they want, oh which God. is the easy answer. If you feel, if you give in to that temptation, you can't help the person. Oh, in the same wow. way, the temptation people have when they come to church is, give me a God who will fix everything, make me able to run away from my suffering. I want a church that's like a sports bar. I want a church where I can get <laughs> drunk on yeah. the music and the sermon and forget yeah. all of the bad stuff. 
And that's the temptation that the church has to resist. And if they don't resist it, they fall foul of, you know, a certain, as you say, kind of Paul Tillich called it an idolatrous, superstitious type of faith, one that is no different from what, as I say, consumerism offers. Uh, Man, wow. That is... That is so good, and I don't I don't know if you said this in Insurrection, um, uh, or if it was one of the the interviews I was listening to, but you 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 bring up the point of participation versus understanding, mm. and like truly truly immersing yourself and experiencing life versus just kind of what I would say, kind of droning through it, and I I just love that idea. Well, yeah, I mean, I, one of the reasons why I like actually theology uh, and also psychoanalysis and. Uh, some other disciplines is because they're not about simply intellectually knowing something. There's a real limit to that. In fact, we can think we know stuff. Uh, we can tell ourselves, for example, I'm a nice person. I'm kind. I'm considerate. I love people. But actually, we're only like that whenever things are good. As soon as our backs are against the wall, we realize that we're assholes, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, yeah, and the difficult thing is, if, if I, no matter how many times someone says I should be nicer, I, it doesn't work. Yeah, I agree with them. But yeah. I'm like, how, I, how do I actually become nicer? <laughs> and so I'm interested in, in rituals in things that we can participate in that help us become healthier, more beautiful people who are much more engaged in the world. So an example I can use is when you're a child, you create all sorts of rituals that help you cope with the crazy world. Yeah. And that might be, you know, like not walking on cracks or, you know, not having a story read at a certain time. Yeah. So that's yeah. obsessive rituals. Most children do it. But Eventually, you have to look at what's underneath it and begin to work through that. Uh, and so in the same way, we, we need rituals that don't cover over our anxiety. That's what we love. We love any rituals that do that. Pop concerts, uh, say, going out on, to a bar on a Friday night. We love rituals that help us escape our suffering. Mm. But we also need rituals that help us go into that, tarry with it and find freedom from it. And that's not an intellectual thing. No. That's a that takes our whole bodies. That requires um, rituals and sacramental activities. Whether that's going to hear a comedian, a singer songwriter, whether that's listening to poetry, it requires participation in. Uh, it has like existential grit at that point. It, it exist, existence actually precedes whatever essence you could get at. It's not, it's not about just some intellectual essence. It's like, no, there's something real you got to get into here. Absolutely. That's why I'm not that concerned with what people believe, because most of the time our beliefs are, are what we uh, use to cover over what we really think. I tell myself, oh, I love my, yeah. I love my dad, you know, but I, then you go, well, how many times do you talk to them? I go, ah, oh, once a year. What you really believe is what is seen in, you know, not so much your actions, yes, sometimes, but actually in your symptoms, in, in whenever your back's against the wall and you're, you're frustrated and you're tired, then you kind of really see what you're made of. Yeah, what your beliefs are. <laughs> that is that is so, so cool, man. Talk about a little bit. Um, I think we're getting into it now. So this is a uh, you know this is called the Deconstructionist Podcast. We invite people into doubt. We invite invite people away from shame into community to you know to deconstruct and reconstruct. And uh, that kind of 
you know, perpetual process of discovering, unlearning, learning, uh, seeing something new. So talk about, if that's how we kind of look at deconstruction, talk about how you see that fitting into this thing that you kind of uh, are sort of pioneering in some ways or refreshing from other people, this pyrotheology and, and this, this yeah. sort of radical faith. Yeah. Well, I mean, deconstruction um, is, a, is a very important part of it. And uh, it's interesting that your podcast is called The Deconstructionists. Um, I mean, it, if you think of a parable uh, where this philosopher decides everything he believes by ruling three dice, everything from his ethics and his morality to what he thinks of the existence of God, meaning, and he throws the dice decides what he believes, and then he argues fervently for it. He writes learned treaties, he engages in debates, he, he discusses. Now, that, that image, you know, of course, that's absurd in a way. You know, the yeah. philosopher who does that, yeah. yeah. But, but in, a, in a sense, that's what we all do. Huh. Uh, by the time you come to think for yourself, say you're 14 years old, and you're starting for the first time to think about what you think about the world, yeah. You're already full of beliefs that have been given to you, you know, that you're immersed in. Uh, some of them are good. Some of them might not be good, but they're to do with your family. They're to do with your culture, what you learned in school. And, and then what happens is sometimes we just take them for granted as if they're true and we argue fervently for them. Mm. To, be, to, to engage in deconstruction is to say, no, hold on a second. I'm <laughs> going to look at these critically. I'm going to deconstruct these constructions. I'm going yeah. to see what, what it's, it's almost like your brain's already full of things and mm, you have yeah. to pick, pick around and look at them rather than start uh, from some blank slate. That is yeah. so good. Yeah. That is so good. So then how does that kind of tie into this idea of uh, like pyrotheology is something you're sort of known for? Yeah, so I mean pyrotheology uh, there's a few ways we could look at that, but you know, in a very basic level, it started off by allowing people the space to do that type of deconstructive work, mm. to ask questions, to see mm. that as not not bad, not even tolerable, but not even good, but actually courageous. Wow, it's courageous to have doubts and to 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 see where they go and to look at the things that that define you know, the deepest sense of yourself to actually be able to go, I'm going to look at those critically, whether Ooh. they're my political views, my religious views, my cultural views. That takes deep courage uh, because, yeah, for a whole pile of reasons, you might lose your friends, you might lose your job, yeah. You, yeah. you know, you yeah. destabilize yourself. You and might lose your church. So, exactly. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I've seen that happen time and again. I, by the way, I've seen... I've seen like lots of positive examples where churches have welcomed this, but I've also seen lots of examples where communities have felt threatened by it, you know? So oh, both absolutely. of those can play out. Man. So yeah, pyro, the pyro of pyro theology is the willingness to set fires to your ideas, not mm. in a purely destructive act, no. but also mm. because fires can be very, you know, they can create clearings for new things to grow. Mm, um, yes. So, uh, yeah, so, so, so parotheology started really just saying it's okay to have doubts. And by the way, it's not saying you should doubt, you should ask questions, because actually we already are full of doubts and full <laughs> yeah. of questions. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. it's more giving people the permission to do what is already going on. Oh, that's what, that, we've been seeing that time and time again, haven't we? I mean, yeah. 
I over think and over. Completely why we we felt the need to create this this space because people are already, as you say, having these doubts, but uh, quietly, secretly, and private, you know, and um, and, and God forbid we we voice those those doubts and struggles to each other. And it's interesting to see just after we started this podcast how quickly out of the out of the woodwork, uh, oh my gosh, people began bringing these things forward. People that we knew, you know, for years. Like, what did we do here? Yeah. Like I've been I've been carrying this for for years. Absolutely, and the the way the way ideology works very simply is uh, an ideology or a religious ideology, political ideology, uh, at a basic level, it does two things. It says what's acceptable and it tells you what's unacceptable. But but ideology does a third thing, and uh, we're not so aware of this. It also tells you the acceptable way to do unacceptable things. So what I mean by that is, yeah, like take an example of a public school in the UK. In a public school, the values, what's acceptable is to be sober, to be kind, to be moral, to not look down on people and to be a responsible citizen. Mm. What's unacceptable is to look down on people, to be arrogant, to be a drunkard, to, you know, to do terrible, immoral acts. Yeah. But then there's the acceptably unacceptable. There are little societies where you're allowed to do all of those things as long as it's not public. Societies that not only, but the, and the interesting thing is not only are you allowed to do all of the things that you're not supposed to do, right? Actually, if you're not part of the society, that secret society, you're probably not going to get very far in life because that's where all the prime ministers go. All those secret societies are, are where you have the secret handshakes. If yeah, okay. you just do what's acceptable, you're not trusted, right? Now, yeah, the reason, yeah, the reason why I use that analogy is because in religion it's similar. You have what's acceptable in some churches, which is belief. You know, have the answers, be confident in them. You've got the unacceptable, which is question. Uh, you know, doubt things, uh, not believe certain things. But you also have the acceptably unacceptable, and that's where you're allowed to do those things as long as you don't do it in public. It's yeah. fine uh, behind yeah. closed doors. Just don't preach about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Keep it yeah, 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 quiet, yeah, yeah. Don't right? do it. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's lots of, we all know that pastors and worship leaders are full of doubts, have lots of questions. We all kind of know that. But as long as they pretend they don't, everything continues as normal. Because then we're setting up a system where they believe by proxy. You need me exactly. to believe for you because you don't believe. But I don't believe either. Yes, but as long as no one says, like there's a story I love from back in Ireland where the British army go to this small town during the Troubles and the sergeant says, let me show you a little trick you can play with the Irish, right? So that, <laughs> night, that night they go to the pub and the sergeant takes out an old crumpled dirty five pound note, puts it on the table and takes out a shiny pound coin and puts it on the table. And he calls over the drunkest Irish guy in the pub. They're all really drunk. It's hard to tell who to pick, you know. But he sees this guy, Seamus, in the corner. And he says, Seamus, come here, come here. So Seamus comes over and he says, would you rather have the dirty old crumpled notes or this bright, shiny coin? And Seamus sees the shiny coin and it's, it sparkles and he bites it in his one good tooth. And he goes, mister, I'd love the coin. Right? So he takes the coin and the soldiers laugh at this. They play it all night. And then they leave. Now, there's an American there, and she's, she's aghast. She's like, what are they doing? So she goes up to the Irish guys at the bar and says, do you not know that the five pounds is worth five times more than the one pound? 
and they say, of course we do love, but if we stop, but if we took the five pound notes, they'd stop playing the game. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you have this game that nobody believes in, but as long as everyone pretends they believe in it, it functions. Right. Right? The truly playing. radical acts in the church at the moment, in that type of church, is for ministers and worship leaders to come public in the doubt, bring to light the acceptably unacceptable transgression. That mm will then cause a, a rupture in the church. And I believe that it will bring that community to a healthier place. Uh, now, it might destroy honest. it. Because it's honest. But if it though. doesn't destroy it, it will be more healthy. Oh, that so, is so good, man. So we see throughout <laughs> history where where uh, any individuals uh, or kind of free thinkers try to bring forward new ideas and fresh perspectives. And yet throughout history, I think you talk about on a couple of your interviews, the fact that you know, Socrates was executed, you know, yeah. for having different types of ideas. And even, you know, Luther during the Reformation would have been, clearly would have been killed had the German princes not protected him. Right. And so maybe we don't have that, you know, now in, in, in common times, but but people you see, like even a Rob Bell, you know, was crucified in public, you know? So mm-hmm. how do we how do we stop that from happening? How can we embrace new ideas without, you know, attacking them immediately as a, as a threat? Yeah, no, that's a great question because because we all have a tendency to do it. I think the first step is to realize that it's not those crazies out there who do this, who yeah, are right. who find new ideas difficult. Yeah, who who find their the cha- challenge to their personality difficult to accept. It's us. We yeah. all know this. Whenever someone says to us, "You are an asshole to your mum," and it's, <laughs> you may you may know their rights, but your defenses come up. And you say, no, I wasn't. She's terrible. She's horrible. You don't know what she's like. She's a nightmare. right? (laughs) But but then if you say to somebody instead, listen, let's go for a drink. And then over a drink, you say, you seem very stressed. Then they might go, yeah, and I really took it out on my mum. Right. When you directly attack someone, even if they think you might be right, they can't hear it. And I can't hear it because my defenses come up. That's why indirect communication is always the most direct communication. This is the Kierkegaardian idea that if you want to speak directly to people's hearts, you have to find indirect ways. Hence yeah. comedy, parables, poetry, yeah. songwriting. These get you off guard. They get behind your defenses. And so if good. you're able if you're able to develop a healthy community that is able to uh, look at the problems and the difficulties, to look at uh, their own darkness and their own history, uh, then, then it's they're going to be much more able to listen to an outside critique. But if a community is not used to doing that, then they will kill their prophets. So our yeah. job, in a sense, is to try to be softening agents, softening agents in our communities that allow our communities to be able to listen to the, the outside voice and be and be transformed by it. And by the outside voice, I mean. The outsiders, whoever they are in our community, whoever they are, nurse, yeah. the homeless, yeah, whatever, is who is the outsider that's got a critique of us that we need to listen to. That's why we love your atheism for Lent. I'm doing it myself right now, and uh, one of the most rewarding things I think I've ever done. 
Oh wow, that's fantastic! I'm going to put that on the the front cover of the the next Look, the next use, atheism use this space right yeah, here. Yeah, Adam say, Narlock. Yeah, Adam Narlock yeah. says this is the most rewarding thing you'll ever do from Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> you will the, get the no. Isn't going to work. The face isn't going to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We have faces I got a for, face radio. for radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll get about. Three likes. You'll get yeah. my wife, John, and me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that's a great, a great point though that that Adam just brought up. One of the things that we try to promote on our podcast is is intentionally reading things outside of what what you might call your stream. You know, kind of kind of the accepted uh, okay, yeah, uh, volumes. You know, so why why do you think it it's so important for people to to read things, dissenting opinions, maybe, and and things outside of of even maybe their own religion. Yeah. Well, um, by the way, one of the things that uh, we do or I used to do with ICON that tries to live this out is, is the evangelism project, where we go to be evangelized by other communities. So you would go to, say, the Islamic society to be evangelized by them. Now, re- yeah. And <laughs> now, the reason why we did this is kind of is key. The evangelism didn't really happen when the Jewish community or the Islamic community you know, would tell us what they believed. Now, that might happen. Somebody might be evangelized by that. But that's not why we gave it the title, The Evangelism Project. We gave it the title, The Evangelism Project, because we then ask, what do we look like to you? What do us Christians look like to the Islamic community? And then you see yourself, you see things that you in yourself that you haven't seen before. You see the pollutions that your community have created mm. that maybe you're not even aware of. That's beautiful. And oh. you're evangelized more into your own faith, right? So, yeah. So that's why we need the outsider. Go ahead. That reminds me of, uh, there's a scene, I think it's probably the most iconic scene in uh, the book Blue Like Jazz that Donald Miller wrote. Uh, when he sets up the confessional booth at Reed College, and yeah. it's like oh, uh, yeah. during the like the big party weekend at Reed College, they set up this confession booth, and people come in and they're like, "You want me to confess to you?" And they're like, "No, we would actually like to confess to you." Mm-hmm. And yes. it's this, they just flip it on its head, and it just disarms yeah. everyone, and it makes you realize that like we're not enemies. Yes, yes, no, absolutely. Now, there's one, there's one, there's one little thing I would want to push. Uh, with Don Miller on that, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, um, do it. Yeah, well, is is that I think that's a very good thing. I thought it was very good, but the churches is repenting for its sins. It's the things it's done wrong. Uh, it's you know, and that's a very good thing to do. But it's still very much on our terms. So we're going like, well, we've fallen short in doing X, Y, and Z. The real point. thing I'm interested in with the Evangelism Project is actually saying, you speak into us. And tell us what you see. Uh, yeah. And, and the reason for that, so the other becomes an instrument of your further transformation. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, a, that, that's why we need the other. And this is why, by the way. Uh, you might I'm, have to say I'm, that I'm, again. You might have to say yeah. that again, because I think that was key. The other becomes, say that again. And, oh, yeah. The other becomes an instrument of our further transformation or our further conversion. Uh, now, and I'll, I'll, I'll say it in a different way as well. Is, this is my this is my concern. It's only a small concern, yeah, but it's a concern with uh, you know social some social justice that you see in the church. Mm. That sometimes what we do social justice because we think that there is a problem. The homeless situation is a problem. The the prison situation is a problem, and we want to help that problem. But in in this thinking, uh, 
this is not the problem, it's the solution to a problem. Now think about it like alcoholism. We think yeah. alcoholism is a problem, yeah. but alcoholism is the solution to a problem. And if you don't deal with what alcoholism is responding to, if you get the person to give up alcohol, they'll start smoking or they'll do obsessive fitness. You yeah. have to deal with the problem and then you get rid of the solution to the problem. Uh, what if the homeless population, we don't go to help bring salvation to them. They are our salvation. They, uh, the, the, so we, have, we, we are not good news to them. They are good news to us because they expose a problem within our culture. Wow. Like, for example, racism. You know, you go to a prison oh and you see racism. That's, that, they show that there's a problem in the body. That, that, by the way, is what a symptom is. If you have a symptom, which is like an outburst of anger or whatever, or you burst into tears for some reason, no reason at all, that is a symptom that tells you there's something wrong in your life. Oh. And instead of trying to get rid of it, you know, we try to get rid of the symptom, but no, don't get rid of it. Listen to what it's saying, because if you listen to what it's saying, you'll realize that it is telling you that something's wrong in your body. In the same way in society, we have to listen to what's going on in the prisons. We have to look at why the homeless population exists, and that exposes a problem in the social body that has to be fixed. They are our salvation. The outsider is our good news. That is wow. so radical, man. And you just... It blew my mind, obviously, but also it makes me look at some of the words in Scripture where God is always identifying with the stranger, with the widow, with yes. the orphan, with the outsider, with the oppressed, with the marginalized. And he is yes. saying, I am with these people. I'm connected to these people. And you know what? I am these people in your midst. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's amazing because when you read this, when you read it from this angle, it, it makes total sense. And we're really touching the surface. But it's funny, like in the Bible, continually is saying, where is God? In the least of these. In oh, the least. Yes. Like God, that's the site of salvation. Uh, even Paul's uh, uh, conversion is, is completely caught up in this. So Paul is basically saying there's a problem in the existing religion. There's, a, there's an issue, and the issue is the, these groups, this group called the Christians. This little band of people, they're the problem. Yeah. Get rid of them and everything will be great. Right. And then he has his insight. He falls off his horse. Well, Gar Caravaggio has him falling off his horse. And yeah. he hears a voice saying, why are you persecuting me? And basically what that is saying is the scapegoat, the very group that you think is the problem, are actually where I am. And you think that that if you get rid of the, this group, the Christians, everything will be great. But no, that's, they are the place where you will find salvation. You will find me. You will find God. And so the basic message of Christianity then is this, is that if we can't deal with our own darkness and, and histories, we put it onto another called a scapegoat. Uh, so yeah. for a fascist, the figure of the Jew is the scapegoat. If yeah, we could get yeah. rid of the Jews, everything would be great. But yeah. what the fascist doesn't realize is the existence of the Jew um, in, their, in their thinking is actually what helps them maintain a modicum of community. Yeah. That yeah. If they got rid of the enemy, wow. they'd find out that actually they were riven with destruction. So the other is actually the, you know, is the solution to the problem. So uh, basically what I'm saying is this, is even in the conversion of Paul, you see this thing is instead of trying to get rid of, you know, this group of Christians, this group that are the problem, he has this realization that, that God is there. And, in, and always in scripture, you find God is with the orphans. Yeah, as you say, the widows, those who, have, those who are in prison, 
those who are excommunicated from society. Oh Whoa. man! I gotta collect my. my <laughs> I gotta yeah. collect my brain. Which, which, by the way, I think it's so exciting. This means that we do social justice because we need saved. I mean, because we need evangelized. Because we need the gospel. We need yeah. the good news. How do how do I find the gospel? By going and visiting the prisoners. How do I find the good news? By by going and helping the homeless. They're good news for me and for my society. Do you know what is so beautiful about that? I always thought that I was being taught in some way that I, and this is horrible, but it is what it is, that I go to the soup kitchen or I go to the homeless shelter or I go to Zimbabwe or whatever because that's what God wants me to do. Because he wants me to be nice to those people because I am the hands and feet of Christ. When it's actually, no, that's where my salvation lies. I'll be changed by them, by the beauty in their otherness. Yes. Holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, imagine, say, for example, say if you live in a town where homelessness is rife and you realize that a lot of the homeless, for example, are veterans uh, and there's and, and people with severe trauma and mental health issues. So then you go, maybe the homeless population are telling us that we can't deal with those things. One is that we're, we're putting our, our young men through horrific things and yeah. we're not able to provide mental health care and community and a support mechanism. So yeah. suddenly you go, oh my goodness, that's a symptom that's telling us there's a problem in our social body. So we need to do those things. And then if you're able to do those things, the homeless population diminishes. So it, 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 it kind of works out like this. By the way, what I love is Lacan, who's a thinker that I, I work with, he, he talks about a symptom, which is, as I say, is, it's the explosion of what we cannot speak. It's the, it's, the, it's the manifestation of what we are not dealing with in our bodies. But he says this. He says, if we, lo- if we listen to the symptom, the symptom will become a synthom. So he spells it slightly differently, synthom. And he does that because synthom sounds like sanhom, which in French means a holy man. And a holy man is one who calls you to transformation and repentance, a new way of life. So he says, if you listen to the symptom, the symptom becomes a prophet and the prophet calls you to transformation. And as you know, if you listen to prophets, healing comes. And if you refuse to listen, usually it's bad news. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so we have to, Holy yeah. crap. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love that podcast. You're very easily impressed. We are. <laughs> we <laughs> no, are. no, we really. Uh, well, well, we're we're also big fans of that. Yeah, house. we're huge. But this is oh, this is such good stuff. <laughs> well, and, and and part of the reason too that that we have that we we try to get um, guys like yourself on our podcast is because you know we we've really been touched by the work that you do and kind of these unique perspectives that just. Uh, you know, shatter, shatter, they they shatter things. They break wineskins. They shatter perspectives. Like when you talked about the do sex machina in insurrection, that was a, that was a watershed for me where a bunch of things came together. And I was like, Whoa. Mm. Uh, Well, thank you. (laughs) I've learned all of that stuff from other places, but you, but you're right. Yeah. But, but this idea of the, the God who, um, you know, this deus ex machina, he comes into the world and just gives us the answers and we wheel in to help us sleep at night. Uh, you know, 
often that's the type of God that, that we find ourselves naturally wanting. Because, totally. of course, it makes everything easy. But some theologians, like Paul Tillich, says, this is a half-blasphemous, superstitious notion of God. Yes. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, says, this is, this is the God we have to reject. The, and Paul Tillich talks about the God beyond God, the God who, is, who blows that notion of God apart. Mm, and uh, yeah. so, yeah, in, in, in my recent books, I've been trying to kind of draw out how, of course, we're tempted by this superstitious, idolatrous notion of God. But that notion never, never does anything good. It just causes all manner of problems. Yes. So, dude, one of the things you talk about that I love is the idea of, of our need to ex- truly experience our own personal crucifixion. So I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit, because the first thing that I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Vanilla Sky with Tom oh, Cruise. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it completely makes me think of the line the character Jason Lee is is having this discussion with, with Tom Cruise, and he says, he's like, you know, you've had it so good, and you've never had to struggle for anything. And just remember, the sweet is never as sweet without the sour, and I know the sour. And so it always makes me think of that line, especially as I was reading Insurrection, because it's like... You know, once we truly enter into our suffering, yeah, it, it makes all of the, the joyful experiences life uh, that much more joyous and that much more tangible, I think. Yes. And it, like it sounds counterintuitive at first because you say something like, you know, you could go out, be happy, enjoy yourself. Forget, don't, don't wallow in your suffering. Don't be any of that. But the problem is when we try to avoid looking at the traumas of life. And by the way, there are traumas that happen to us. But there's also just the trauma of being human. Uh, right. The trauma oh, of yes. and Yeah. The, just the, the trauma of, of existing. The just trauma ex- of existing. Yeah, just the fact <laughs> that know. I'm here. What the... F- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Paul, Paul Tillich talks about this. He says, you know, that you know, even if you don't have much external trauma, you still have to deal with meaninglessness, uh, finitude, guilt, these things that are part of being human. So you either run from those but if you run from them the idea is actually you never get far you end up compulsively repeating them if you don't look at your pain for example say you've had a really bad relationship with your family and you run away from it you'll Mm. find that you return to it in every relationship you have and it'll be so annoying but your every relationship will bear the mark of that early relationship oh and that that, yeah who can't relate to that I know it's called comp- compulsive uh, repetition, where if you say you've had a bad relationship with someone else and somehow you just keep repeating it again and again yes. and again. But weirdly, the opposite is not wallowing in your suffering. That's actually just the same difference. That's the other side of the coin. The, yeah. the real radical move is to, to, to look at that pain, to accept it. It's not because it's already there. You don't have to, you don't have to fight. You don't have to kind of make it up. It's already there. You, you, you face it, bring it to the surface. And in mm. doing that, you actually get beyond it. You, yeah. don't, you don't repeat it again and again and again. Mm. And so a lot of my work is about exploring how we can have like a type of worship and, 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 and sermons and a type of religious structure that helps us tarry with and bring to the surface our, our ghosts, the things that we're haunted by. Not so that yeah. we get trapped by them, but so that we can find a certain freedom from them. Talk a little bit about the uh, the haunted house thing. Mm. Yeah. Well, that. yeah. Ah, yeah. So, 
I mean, basically, I think that there is a real truth to ghost stories. Um, there's a real sense in which we're haunted. Because what is a ghost? I mean, a ghost is the presence of something that is absent. Right? Yeah. It's there, oh. but it's died, it's gone. Yeah. That's great. So we're all, we all have, are haunted by things that are absent. So they're present in their absence. It might be someone we've loved and lost. So they're absent, but they remain present to us in some sort of way. And if you go, with, if you go through a graveyard, you'll see the phrase, uh, forgotten, but not, or sorry, gone, but not forgotten. In other words, someone's died, but we remember them. But what's more common for us is the forgotten, but not gone. We try to forget our suffering. Yeah, we try to forget it all, but then it remains and stays with us. And those ghosts become poltergeist. They wreck things. They break our lives. They destroy oh. our relationships. They do all manner of things. But if we're able to bring them to the surface, they become holy ghosts. We bring oh. them up. We make peace with them. I mean, there's, oh. a, there's, well, there's a verse in the Bible I love. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. If we avoid truth, and we push it down, the truth of our deepest desires and fears and wants. Push that down, it's destructive. It causes slavery, slavery to competitive repulsion, where we keep repetition, we keep doing the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. Yeah, but absolutely. if we bring the truth to the surface, we find freedom, we don't compulsively repeat. Not only as individuals, by the way, but also as societies. A society that can't look at its darkness and the problems in its past and its history We'll continue to repeat that history in violent, sporadic ways. Absolutely. You need a society that can begin to look at those things. Oh, wow. man, that is so good. Who can't relate to that? I mean, when, when I first heard you start to talk about um, interior life or life as this haunted house, I mean, instantly that image is so sharp. And so informative in inviting into, you into a space to understand yourself. And then everyone knows that there are points in your life that you are dealing with a, a poltergeist and you go through something like an exorcism. Yes. And that, and that ghost gets dealt with and you pass through that and now you are in some ways born again. You are in some ways saved. You are in some ways transcended. You are in some ways changed. And you then become a carrier of wisdom for mm -hmm. others. Yes. Because you've actually dealt with it, and you can recognize it and help people and hold their hand, and that is good juice, man. Yeah, it's good news, but you're exactly right that it's exorcism. I mean, that's the that's the theological term for it, it's an exorcism, which is the bringing out and the bringing up and the bringing out of that repressed thing that becomes monstrous within you, that, that oh. causes you slavery to this ongoing destruction in terms of your life, your life with your neighbor, your life with the environment. And the exorcism is what brings healing. Man, that is so good. Um, we, we want you to talk a little bit about your book, but before you could do that, you, you do such a great job. One of the things about this podcast is we've got this vast spectrum of people that want to come to this open table and just hear different perspectives hear something they haven't heard before, consider something they haven't considered before. And one of the things I love about you, Pete, is that you just do a great job of creatively, freshly, and graciously critiquing both the, the right and the left, the fundamentalists and you know the extreme atheists. And you do a great job talking to both of them. And I was wondering if I could just invite you to do that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess uh, the reason why I'm interested in that is because... For me, I'm not so interested in what 
one believes. Uh, you can mm. you can believe some very. Uh, I, I used this example in another podcast I did, so I don't want to repeat myself too much. You know, <laughs> if you were, uh, I yeah. can hear it over and over. Oh, good. Well, um, take the example of that. You're say you're you're paranoid that you've got some rare tropical disease, total hypochondriac. You know, <laughs> but then it turns out you actually have it. Right? You go, oh, I actually have it. Now, even though it's <laughs> terrible, there's a little part of you that goes, oh, at least I'm not crazy. Right? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't have it. Um, but, uh, you, but still, actually, it's still a problem, the belief. It just looks as if it's good. You could, you could believe in flat earth. And then you sure. go, okay, the person's believing in flat earth. That's obvious that that's just like a defense mechanism. There's something going on. They're covering over something. But you could have a really good belief. It's doing exactly the same thing. This covering over. And so I'm always interested, not so much in what you believe, but how does your belief function? Is it functioning to help you become more honest, more authentic, more loving? Or wow. is it covering over pain? Is it, is it, is it a guise? So, for example, if, if one of you agrees with me in everything I say, I'm more likely to go, you're great, you're right, because you agree with me. And the other one disagrees with me, so I'm more likely to argue with you because you disagree with me. Right. But actually, one of you, the one who agrees with me, you might agree with me for the most ridiculous reasons. You might agree with me just because you like me or, you know, I might become just this new authority figure. And so I'd ha- I have to question you as well. Why do you agree with me? What's going on? Yeah. Because it's not about agreeing with me. It's about how you came to that decision, why you're doing it. Um, and that, that's so that's why I can, you know, I want to speak to myself and, and anyone else. Because like whatever you believe, that's a valuable question to ask. Does my atheism act I agree with you, but I'm not sure if I want to agree with you now. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) I totally disagree with you. (laughs) That's the other thing, by the way, is when someone asks you a question, sometimes it's because they they either like you and want you to say something they can agree with or because they don't like you and they want you to say it so they can disagree with you. So either way, that's that's a problem. Oh, man, that is is so good. Because agreement... Agreement and disagreement, um, they seem like critical thinking, but they're not. Agreement is when you say something and it fits with what I already think, so I agree with you. And yeah. if you say something I disagree with, I, yeah, whatever. But critical thinking is where I don't agree or disagree with you. I let what you do surprise me. I let it decenter me, disturb me. That's what we should be doing when we engage with people. So I'm going to allow you to disturb my thinking. Yeah, man, that is so that is so good. And you do you do a good job of bringing... In the best way I've seen in a really long time, man, you do a good job of bringing what look like these infinitely opposite sides to a very, very small gap. What, what used to be like this giant, like when, if you want to talk a little bit about atheism for Lent, I think that kind of sums it up really well because it's like, you don't read these things to pick them apart. You don't read the God delusion. You don't read Nietzsche to pick it apart. You, you let it critique you. Yeah, that's very key. Yeah, for atheism for Lent. We're reading the great critiques of religion to let them judge us, to see what happens when we, you know, put the defense mechanisms down and go, oh, you know, what have these got people got to say? And by yeah. the way, it's a very conservative move as well. Like uh, people like Karl Barth did this. Yeah. He yeah. fully embraced like Feuerbach's critique of religion oh, because yeah. he said, yeah, this is, this is a great critique how so much theology is just us talking about ourselves with a, with a loud voice, you know, God's yeah. a bigger version of ourselves. Yeah, so a lot of these thinkers, when you listen to them, they offer actually really good critiques 
that, you know, if you'd read Freud, you go, oh, yeah, I wonder if some of my religion is just because I'm scared with wish fulfillment and whatever. And, but part of atheism for Lent is to show that, that actually the distinction between atheism and theism is not as wide as we originally think. For a start, there's a bit of an atheist in most theists. A little bit of us sometimes goes, I don't think I believe it. Maybe it's just the way I was brought up. And there can be a little bit of theism in every atheist going, well, you know, sometimes I find myself just praying or wondering if there's something more. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that that means they're not really atheists or not really theists. I'm just saying that we're more complex than we think. But also, even within uh, atheism and theism, most theologians that I read anyway, the, the really good theologians yeah. say that there's a bit of atheism that we, that we that's good for faith. In fact, some of them say atheism is closer to the truth of Christianity than theism. Talk, talk about that. That's good. People are going to be like, what are you talking about, man? That's Come on, that's crazy. But I agree with you. I yeah, don't agree well, that, with you. Wait, I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> You're I disturbed sure. by me. Yeah. Ah, crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you notice this a few times. So Paul Tillich says it. Uh, there's a type of atheism that's closer to God and theism. Simone Weil says it. Mm, Martin yeah. Heidegger says it. Mm, various yeah. people. So what do they mean? Yeah. Um, one way of thinking about it is this, is that, you know, for Paul Tillich, um, if, if there's two people arguing about the existence of God, and one saying, God doesn't exist. Uh, you know, look at all the suffering in the world. Look at all right. the children that are dying because they've been bitten by a, a mosquito, because of s- some earthquake or some terrible poverty. Uh, look at all the violence that the church has done. Mm-hmm. And then someone else says, but look at all the beauty in the world. And look at all the things the church has done that's good. Paul Tillich would say, well, both of them are affirming the sacredness of life. Both of them are showing a care and a concern for the depth of being. And so Paul Tillich says they're both affirming what the prophet Amos affirmed, what Jesus affirmed, what Mother Teresa affirmed, what the great mystics affirmed. And so he says they're standing in the very heart of God. And more than that, he says that if someone's arguing against God because of all the violence and the suffering in the world, they are closer than some believer theist who simply believes that god exists and doesn't really care about anything yeah so um that's uh yeah so that's that's kind of paul tillich's notion is that that god is affirmed in our ultimate care and concern for the world Man. uh you know but, but each of them have a slightly different view but it's interesting as i say that that someone like tillich is going oh yeah this, this distinction is not as it's not as uh, solid as we think even, by the way, Socrates was called an atheist, the early Jewish community were called atheists, and the early Christians were called atheists because they believed in the gods of the day. Yeah. Yes! I mean, atheism, even, even from a mystical perspective, atheism is deeply important. You look at Meister Eckhart. He says mm. every time you say something about God, you have to also remind yourself that, that God's greater than that. So every theism, which is every claim to God and what God is, requires an atheism, which is a sense of, yeah, but not like that. Every time you say, you know, God is love, you say, but not like the terrible way I think of love, which is influenced by growing up in America in the 21st century. It's different from a third century French person's understanding of love. So theism and atheism play in this dialectic dance um, for someone like a, a mystic like Jean-Luc Marion, he says that's he calls it denomination, right? Every time you nominate, which is name, every time you nominate God, you have to denominate God. 
to say to deniem. And I love the way churches are called denominations. Because in one sense, their their purpose is to denominate, to deniem, to say, every time you say God, you say less than God. That's why Meister Eckhart said, I pray God rid me of God. Because he says this, this di- dialectic between theism and atheism is something the believer has to embrace. That is gorgeous. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> so... um. If you could talk a little bit about the divine magician, I love this idea of this book based around um, the magician's uh, what is it, the prestige, the three steps in a in a magic trick. Yeah, yeah. So all magic tricks have basically three parts. The classic magic trick, anyway. Um, if you've seen the film The Prestige, you'll know this. There's yeah. the pledge where an object is presented. Uh, then there's the turn where the object's put behind a curtain, you rip the curtain down and, ah, there's no object. And then there's the prestige, which is you're going, where is the object? And the object returns. But in true magic, it's never the object that you lost. It just looks like it. If I make a coin disappear, I'm giving you back a different coin. If ah, I make yeah. it disappear, it's not the same birds you're getting back. That first bird is dead. You know, the, <laughs> the, the magician breaks the neck of the first dove and, <laughs> and, and, and brings another dove out. So um, it was an archbishop called Tillotson who, who noticed that magicians would often at the turn say hocus pocus. And he realized that this was probably a mockery of what the priest says during mass when they say hoc est corpus, which is, you know, when the bread and the wine turn into the body and blood. Yeah, this is and, my body. Yeah. So Tillotson was saying, oh, they're just saying that the Eucharist is a magic trick. That's terrible. Uh, well, I yeah. go like, well, well, maybe this is the best way to understand the Eucharist, right? You've got three parts. You've got the pledge which is the bread and the wine. It's right there in front of you. There's the sacred object, right? And by the way, that is in line with the very opening of the Hebrew scriptures where you have an object that's a piece of fruit. The sacred object, if we could have that, then we'd be happy, right? Right, yeah. Then you, you have the turn, which is the disappearance of the bread and the wine where you consume it, it's gone. I argue that the, the key moment in Christianity is when the temple curtain is ripped in two, right? The temple, I argue, is basically a replaying of Adam and Eve. There's the sacred object in the Holy of Holies, because basically the the temple had three parts. The Holy of Holies, where the divine was, a massive curtain that separated them from the court of Gentiles, which is where everybody could hang out. Which, by the way, looks a lot like a magician's uh, studio. You've got the audience. You've got a curtain. You know, they always put yeah. by the curtain. Yeah. And behind the curtain, they've got the object. That's amazing. I argue, yeah. I argue that the very moment Christ says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is the turn of the magic trick. The curtain rips in half. We see behind the Holy of Holies and the sacred object that we think will make us whole and complete isn't there. It's gone. So wow. the nihilistic core of Christianity is God's not there. Right. <laughs> That's the, you would hear that. Wow. Where we always yeah. thought he was. Where we always thought he was. He's not. Object. It's not there. So it's not all the socks you lost behind, you know, in the washing machine with <laughs> coins that were stuffed down the back of the sofa. It's not like an Indiana Jones swirling mass. It's just, it's just a room. It's just an empty room. But the thing, the trick doesn't end there. You have to have the prestige. Prestige is the return of the object. But if you remember what I said, it's never quite the same thing. It looks like the same, but it's not. It's and I argue right. the divine magician that the sacred as an object disappears, but the sacred as a depth dimension to all objects appears. 
In other words, God is no longer approached as an object that you love. God is found in the act of love itself. Uh, and, and, wow. and, this, and this is evidenced in the last act of communion, the prestige. You're waiting for the return of the sacred, waiting and waiting. And then you stand up and you talk to the people to your right and to your left. And someone's lost their job. So you say, I can help you with that. Someone's had a kid and you say, let me cook for you for a week. And you realize that you are the prestige. That is the sacred. Now in the community of believers, where you look out for one another and care for one another, that is the return of the sacred in the body of the believer, in the body, in the community, in material existence, in the grit and grime of the world. Oh, that's, Who can't that's find that absolutely compelling and beautiful? That is awesome. And this is in your book, The Divine Magician. Yep. Which everyone yep. should go out and immediately buy. Which we have. Uh, <laughs> which we have copies of. I don't think you can probably sign my copy through Skype. That'd be awkward. <laughs> yeah. um, but man, that is so good. And you're working on another book uh, now, uh, continuing with some of these themes of ghosts and magic and using some. I, I hear it has something to do with Scooby Doo. Yes, well, Scooby Doo, yeah. Um, <laughs> Scooby Doo has three interesting elements that I like. One is it kind of starts off as a horror story, so they they enter into some crazy place with like witches <laughs> and all of that, right. and then it becomes like a it's 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 a really a ghost story. You know, there's there's ghosts and ghouls all over the place, but finally you realize the truth that it's a detective story. And right. actually behind the ghosts and ghouls, there's a very normal person who's trying to do something <laughs> bad, right? Yeah, and yeah, whenever yeah. they're exposed, the horror finishes and it becomes beautiful again. Yeah. So my, my book takes those three elements. And uh, so the first is a horror story. So the first, the first section is called Fulfilling Your Dreams, a horror story. Oh. <laughs> the idea that yeah, the more we try, to fulfill our dreams the more unhappy we are we we labor under the tyranny of happiness the tyranny of always having to be happy do more have more friends and it's it's, it's it never works even when we get it it never works the losers lose yeah oh. the losers in our society lose but also the winners lose yeah, uh, everyone so true. Loses. <laughs> when, yeah um in the american dream so then the second part says we're trying to run from our ghosts so let's look at our ghosts and then the, so that's a ghost story. And then the third section is a detective story. It says, and the ghosts are there because there's something we're not looking at as a society, uh, as individuals, wow. as churches. And we have to be detectives working out what that is so that we can dissipate the horror and live well. Find out wow. basically life, not life after death, but we find a life that exists before death. That it, talk talk a little bit about that before we you know we get want to be sensitive to your time and wrap up and all that kind of stuff but life before death. Yeah. Um, well, well C.S. Yeah, Lewis, who you've got in your background there, he's a good Belfast man. Um, I, I'm actually quite <laughs> Lewis. Lewis is very good, very great writer. But I mean, also uh, you know, I, I would crit critique a lot of his work. However. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he writes some amazing stuff. And one of his comments yeah. is, he says, Christianity is like a sculptor's workshop. And there's a rumor going around that one day we might live. Yes. I, I, I love this quote. And I, I kind of take it a slightly different way than, than Lewis meant. But I love the quote, which is basically that, that the world is like a sculptor's workshop. We are, we are the dead. 
We are dead in our jobs. We are dead in our debts. We are dead in our depressions. Life, even whenever it's good, is can be very difficult for some of us. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, we, there's a, there's a, there's a form of death that infests life. Yes. And there's a rumor going around that actually we can live in this life. We can have a joy and a depth and a wonder. We can experience um, a beauty and a meaning in life, even if we're not sure there's a meaning of life. And that's, that's what Christianity is for me. Because to be honest, life after death and, and prolonged eternal life is not a theological question. It's a medical question. Whether we can prolong our life for mm. by 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000, a million years, that's a, that's a medical question question but the question of whether we have life while we're alive that's a theological question and that's why in the bible death and life really mean literal death and life jesus said i've come to bring life he didn't say that to the dead he was saying that to the living who that's lived amazing yeah you know? life in its fullness is not is not speaking to the dead it's speaking to a death and life Oh, oh so man, true. that is so good. So do you do you have a release date yet uh, planned for, for the new book? Or is that something that's still kind of in the works? Still in the works. I'm kind of writing it and rewriting it. I'm taking my time with this one, uh, even okay. though actually in one sense it's very easy to write. Um, I'm, I'm making sure that I take great care in crafting it. That's that's fantastic. Um, so, who else? Uh, who else would you recommend personally uh, in terms of uh, um, good, great thinkers that we should have on the on the podcast? So, who, who else, else would you invite to this table? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I've got lots of people I could I could mention. There's uh, uh, Ka- uh, Catherine Sarah Moody wrote a okay. really good book uh, recently, like a brilliant oh. book. It's kind of the Bible of radical theology or parotheology. Oh, oh wow. Sadly, it costs about ninety dollars to buy, so uh, <laughs> that's a problem. Um, there is a uh, uh, Gladys Gennell is interesting. She wrote a sociological text that won um, this prize, sociological prize. Uh, uh, it was written, it was written with, with uh, Gerardo Matti. Gerardo Matti is great. Those two wrote this great text, and they, they actually did extensive research in Icon, the community that I was part of. So Gladys particularly did that. She was based in Northern Ireland. Barry Taylor is great. Kester Bruins just come out with a brilliant book called Getting High. Actually, it comes out in April, and it's about <laughs> awesome. the desire to yes, yeah, the desire to transcend the world, whether it's literally by flying or taking drugs or religion. But ultimately, it's about saying that we've got to stop trying to get high and we've got to embrace the earth. So oh wow, he's very that very is good. Amazing. Uh, Tad Delay just wrote a book called God is Unconscious, and. Um, He's very, very good as well. But I could go on and on and on. But there's lots of great people. Lots of great people. <laughs> We're going to have well, to sign you up as a consultant for this thing. Yeah, man. absolutely. <laughs> we, we really, oh. really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your schedule to, to be on our show. Um, Wonderful. And uh, we would love to have you back maybe when the, the, the book comes out to help, help promote it a little bit. And we just think that you're such a good fit for, for what we're doing. And I think it's going to be um, the things that you have to say, the ideas that you're presenting, um, I think are going to be a breath of fresh air for a lot of, a lot of folks that are listening. Not to, to mention, to but do. John and I both have like 30 more things that we'd love to hear you talk about. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't even get to them today because yeah, yeah. we, we got to be respectful of everybody's time. But hopefully, um, if you would, man, we'd love to, to get to do this again. Oh, yeah, I really enjoyed it, you know. And, and if people want more stuff, there's lots of free stuff online they can get of mine. We're going to um, put all your stuff in the show notes. 
Oh, great, great, great. And but also if yeah, so there's the all the free stuff, and then if you know, I also run events like a little festival, that kind of stuff. So people are welcome to to hang out with me in Belfast or LA, or as I say, there's lots of free stuff online. So well, we could do something in Ohio if you ever. Want. Oh yeah, absolutely. if you ever want to really be courageous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come out to where it's uh, cold, <laughs> and then hop the very next day. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank oh, you man, so we much. Had such a blast, Pete. Thank you so much, and we'll uh, we'll be talking to you again real soon. Grace and peace to you. Adios, my All friend. All right. Oh my gosh. Well. <laughs> That was Peter Rollins. I've been looking forward to that one for a really long time. Man, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I mean, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could have talked to that dude for like three or four more hours. I And probably just scratched the surface. I want to talk to him for three or four more hours. Yeah. What a great guy. What a what super a nice gold mine. It just just a gold mine and it, it still shocks me the fact that, you know, there's still there's still a large population of people who are still unexposed. To Rollins? Is that a word? It's yes. Late. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> yes. But yeah, that that just still haven't, you know, don't maybe don't know about his books or have heard him speak. Like well, I'd the almost like recommend thing an about... audiobook. Oh yeah. No, I would too. <laughs> and just listen to search his name, you know, after you hear our podcast, listen yeah. to the other podcasts that he's been on. And if you haven't heard, you know, the Pete Holmes podcast or oh, the, the Rob Bell podcast yep. or um, you know, even like the Newsworthy with Norsworthy or whatever that one was. Like he's yeah. done he's done a whole bunch and they're all yeah. really, really good. And he keeps the material pretty fresh. Like you won't hear a lot of redundancies. Right. He's so quick on his feet. I think the reason more people haven't heard of Peter Rollins is because he is so extraordinarily intelligent that at first you think, oh, I'm, this is philosophy. This is beyond my scope. This is not something that I'm comfortable reading. Right. But he presents it in such a way that if you just stick with it for a second, his style grows on you. All of his little illustrations and his stories and his jokes and his metaphors mm. and Oh man, I wish his accent could come through in a book. <laughs> just the way he talks, that he's just got this gorgeous accent and he's just so sweet and kind. Man, I'm just praying that he narrates his own books. Right, I haven't checked. Like Rob that. Bell reads his own, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Makes it a lot more fun to listen to because you hear all his nuances and that sort of thing. It would be a travesty oh. if Pete Rollins doesn't narrate his own books. I like the way he says fieth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's so good. Fief. <laughs> Sorry, Pete. Uh, fief. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was that was that was fantastic. Yeah. And uh he said that he would be back. Yeah, so hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I mean, it's a very different perspective. Um the whole pyrotheology thing oh and my gosh. experiencing the crucifixion and it, if you haven't read anything by him, go out and get I mean, he's got a number of books out right now. The The one that we both started with was Insurrection, yep. which um, ma- both made me joyous and angry simultaneously. I think I literally threw it across the room at one point. Yeah. I was so mad about where it took me. Yeah. But I'm not even saying I agree with all of it. Yeah. I don't even know. But I'm it not, yeah. elicited such <laughs> a visceral response that I felt more engaged in the reading of that book yeah. than almost anything I've read in the past few years. 
Yeah, and I think he pulls from so many different areas. Oh, like the dude, like if you read his bio, uh, which you should, the guy absolutely went from uh, his bachelor's degree to his his PhD in like an insane, insanely short period of time. Just went absolutely academically nuts. Yeah, I mean, just what a treat. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, it, it, there's a lot to process there. I would I would recommend going back through it and really picking up some things that you really felt spoke to you. I mean, that's the yeah. kind of podcast that should stir some things up, agitate you. And the point of what we're doing here is trying to create those agitations, those tensions mm. that lead to growth, that lead to new and authentic expressions of your journey and your spirituality and to do it in community, find somebody to grab a beer with, a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, yeah. whatever, and talk about some of the ideas that Pete just outlined. I mean, just yeah. fantastic stuff. We really appreciate you guys listening. One thing I'd like to point out, too, it, it, uh, my father-in-law made a good point, and I promised him that I would address it, <laughs> was uh, the fact that we talk, uh, we, we often talk about how important community is. Yeah. And and the the important thing that I think that we want to clarify though is that community can look different uh it can look like a different thing for me than it does for you and and so the important thing is to note that community doesn't always necessarily necessarily mean a small group no you know it could be you know just your best friend or your spouse or your girlfriend your boyfriend whatever um just someone to walk through this journey with um and and like i said deliberately Right. And, and the other important thing that I think we noted um, on one of the episodes is that community needs to be with, with people or person, someone that, that knows you on a deeper level than just, I see this person once a week. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, so find that person, find those people, whatever that looks like for you. Um, it could just be your best friend going out for coffee. Uh, but you need someone that you know on a, on a much deeper level so that you can walk through this and they don't need to be in the same place as you. That's okay. No, but they just need to be there to support you in your journey and to, uh, to love you through it. So, right. Right. So I just want to point that out. That's good. (laughs) That's good. Well, wrapping up here just a little bit, uh, thanks to everybody that have, um, supported us in one Mm. way or another, be it an encouraging email, a tweet, uh, feedback, be it positive or negative. Yeah. These are the kinds of things that just keep us going, keep us making, wanting to make this better, wanting us to make uh, new episodes, create new material, dream up new ideas to everyone that has donated generously. You guys are making, you guys are making this thing happen. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. If you want to donate, if you find uh, that you have connected and benefited from this space yeah, and you want to just donate a little bit, um, that would be fantastic. It really does help take the, the burden of uh, a lot of these costs off of John and I and more specifically our wives. <laughs> and uh, yeah. we didn't know this was going to be expensive when we started doing it. We're like, hey, dude, I own a laptop. We should just start a podcast. <laughs> Let's get some microphones. <laughs> This will be great. Yeah, a few grand later, we're we're (laughs) like, no, not really. Well, kind of. But anyway, it doesn't matter. We would do it anyway. (laughs) But it is so nice that some people want to reach out and say, hey, man, I'm a part of this and I want to help too. That's great. Um, We really are using that to continue to fund and uh, fund the functionality of what we're doing here. So thank you so much. You can do that on www.deconstructionist.com. As always, this is a listener-supported, listener-formed space space for grace and doubt and wrestling 
and and mercy and peace and and discovery and authenticity and all these things so thank you thank you thank you please follow us on twitter one of the best things you can do is share this thing man yes i was gonna say that yeah we are in the same same brain wavelength whatever same brain but uh yeah continue like this whole thing has taken off just because people like you whoever you are listening right now have have told a friend or told a family member to check it out and this thing has been you know almost entirely organic and so continue to do that um share it with your friends share it with your family share it with a stranger um you know like us or you know follow or subscribe rather right on instant uh, i can't even talk <laughs> it's getting way late that's awesome i'm not editing any of that i love oh, it thank you <laughs> okay like john can't function after a certain time at night <laughs> But subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on. Uh, we're also on Stitcher for those of you that uh, don't have iTunes. Um, and uh, put you know, leave us a nice you know five star review. That'd be great. Uh, unlike our personal friends who only leave us four stars. Coming after you, Flug. That's right. We know where you live. <laughs> but uh, continue to do that. And I'd also like to thank because I I've been off the last couple of weeks when we've done these outros. Um, I also like to thank all the people who came out and supported us in our first live event here in town. Yeah. Um, especially all the talented friends who, who helped put that night together, who performed or did photography or video or, um, you know, coffee or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, I want to thank everybody and just yeah. let you guys know who weren't able to, you know, who don't live in the Columbus area. Yeah. Uh, we are working on the editing uh, that is involved in an, an event coming. like that. Yep. So you guys will get to hear the live event. Um, release that years. online and some some of it via the podcast as well. Yeah, and uh, we did videotape the entire thing. So our um, our uh, YouTube channel will be going up shortly where we'll have some little snippets of uh, debriefs after uh, various interviews as well as the uh, the live event up there as well. So I wanted to thank um, Jeremy Noland. Oh my gosh. He's our sound engineer, the guy that does his best to make us sound as good as he possibly can. Mm. Um, Jeremy, we could not do this without you. And, uh, Jeremy was in a car accident recently and had mm -hmm. to take a, a few weeks off of helping us with this thing and, uh, was sorely missed. And we so appreciate, uh, your glorious yeah. return on this episode. Oh, thank uh, you. Making everything sound as good as you possibly could. And we love you. And we, we love that you wanted to be a part of this thing, um, without us even yeah. having to ask you. So. Thanks to Jeremy Nolan, for everybody else, for Simeon and Clark and David Carey for doing the music and for uh, Jay Heavy, Jared Hedron for the pictures. And yeah. there's so many people that make this thing happen. And uh, you, our listeners, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We love you so much. Yes. Is that it for now? Yeah. Thank you, guys. All right, everyone. For now, we are the Deconstructionists. I am Adam Narlock. And I am John Williamson. Keep deconstructing, everyone. Grace and peace.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.